Welcome to Hospitality Forward. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency specialized in hospitality and travel. We love storytelling and building national and global brands for spirits, cocktail bars, restaurants, hotels, and destinations. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. This podcast is for hospitality and travel professionals who want to learn how to earn the media spotlight. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its positive impact on someone's career and business. That's why we're undertaking this Giving Back to the Community initiative. So tune in every week to hear us interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. Hannah and I are also the authors and producers of our agency's first book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, which is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores nationwide. Actually, it was just rated the best book of 2021 by Barnes & Noble. Each week, we give away a copy of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail to our listeners, so please share a pitching tip you found most interesting from our episode and email us at info at hannaleecommunications.com. That's I-N-F-O at H-A-N-N-A-L-E-E communications with an S dot com. And remember to have hospitality forward in the subject line for a chance to win a book. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Stacey Lesta, a freelance writer with bylines in food and wine, travel and leisure, Condé Nast Traveler, and many other top outlets. She also contributed to Time Magazine's 100 Greatest Places of 2021. Stacy is also the lead editor for Fodor's Finest Hotels and Fodor's Go List 2022. A former senior editor with CNN Travel, Stacy won an Emmy for her work on Anthony Bourdain's Little Los Angeles, a digital series produced for Explore Parts Unknown. Hi, Stacey. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Us too. So why don't we start at the beginning? How'd you get into journalism and was it always your dream to be a writer? Oh, gosh. Well, yes, I think it was always my dream to be a writer. Um, I was talking to someone at a, a conference for travel, a travel classics conference I was at in Scottsdale, and we were both talking about how we always loved telling stories when we were little. Um And so I don't know if, you know, at the time I was thinking, you know, journalism or I'm going to write a novel. I used to write these fun little fiction short stories. Um, So I think it's always been sort of a skill I've had, something I've enjoyed. I've always been a reader. Um, You know, you can't really write if you don't read. Um, And then in terms of how I got into the field, um, it's it's probably a bit too long for (laughs) to get to hold anyone's interest. But in a nutshell, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after college. We didn't have a journalism major. I went to, to Bucknell University in, in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, so I was an English and psychology major. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated. So I backpacked around Europe for five weeks with a friend. Um, this all kind of comes full circle with the travel thing eventually. But um, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, grad school, I thought, okay, book publishing, I'll discover the next great novelist. Uh, ended up working on English composition textbooks, which... I enjoy grammar and all of those pieces, but uh, it wasn't terribly exciting. Um, So I quit after a couple of years and backpacked around South America for a year by myself. Um, And then 
I moved back to New York City after that. And it was really when all of the dot coms were, you know, there was a, a website for, for everything under the sun. And so I worked uh, as a writer and an editor at a couple now defunct sites, uh, Lifestyle Mirror, Elizabeth Street. And then um, I was at Refinery29 after that. And, um, you know, I've just always kind of been in digital media. So, and then CNN, and now I'm freelancing. As you mentioned previously, you worked at CNN Travel for more than three years as a senior editor, but now you are a full-time freelance writer. So what, what are the challenges and rewards of being a freelancer? So the hardest thing in the beginning was figuring out, well, first of all, I was switching gears. I was so used to writing for a particular audience. Uh, we also had you know, traffic goals and we had different audiences internationally we were trying to reach. So we weren't just writing for domestic. It was, you know, as, as broad reaching as possible. There was a lot, you know, we were limited and couldn't do. And then, of course, we had these great resources to work with awesome video producers and literally fly to, to Greece to shoot stories for sponsorships. So it was, it was being like, okay, I can write about and pitch anything. It doesn't have to be for CNN's audience. So that was both very exciting, but also figuring out where to land those pieces. Okay, what publication? In spite of the fact that I'm a voracious reader, you know, try to keep up with all the travel news, it's still sort of figuring out, okay, well, would this be good at Condé Nast Traveler or maybe Travel and Leisure or Wine Enthusiast? But once I got the hang of that, it's it's been pretty pretty smooth sailing. Wow, you have so much freedom now to write about so many different topics and for different audience. Yes, so much freedom. Speaking from personal experience as a freelance writer myself, I know how difficult it is to break into the freelance writing game, uh, especially getting that first gig. So what was your first story as a freelance writer and how did that come about? Uh, it was for Fodor's Travel and it was on uh, how to travel to Maui in January. Uh, it was for my 40th birthday. I'm not even familiar with all the restrictions now, but I was like, this is a story because it's so complicated. You know, like you can't just get tested anywhere. No one was vaccinated yet. You know, very few people were vaccinated. Um, so I reached out to someone I'd worked with at CNN uh, for her contact at Fodor's. And, and the freelance community is so wonderful. Everyone is always willing to share a contact. And I just, I, I pitched him the story and it was a personal essay piece and he loved it. And I did it and then just kept working with him and then just started pitching other editors. How do you choose the publication that you write for? In the, in the beginning, uh, I talked to a lot of writers that I worked with when I was at CNN. And, and I would say, you know, who do you really enjoy working for? You know, how has your experience been as a freelancer? And I've, you know, read some of their pieces. So a lot of it came kind of recommended like that. And then, of course, I had my own list of, of places um, and still do to some extent, but I'm not too rigid about that. And as a freelancer, were there any new topics or industries you had to really learn more about to be more effective? Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, I started doing a lot of spirits content. I wrote a really fun piece on uh, trademark drinks for wine enthusiasts. And I got to talk to, you know, a patent lawyer, a copyright lawyer, and then, you know, people that had gone, you know, made the efforts to brand these drinks, you know, like Sazerac. So... I couldn't do really booze content at CNN. The audience just didn't really go for it. So it was fun to kind of branch out and, and do that and then moved into some wine writing and yeah, just a lot of different things. In addition to all of these various publications that you're writing for now, are there any new media outlets or dream publication that you'd like to write for in 2022? 
I would like to write for the Wall Street Journal's off-duty section, and I've had uh, I've had good uh, interactions with an editor that I've uh, reached out to, and she hasn't uh, assigned me anything or taken any of my pitches. But um, it's always great to get a little bit of feedback, uh, and I know it's I know it's tough. You know, I sat on the other side of the desk. It's really hard to give every single pitch that comes through adequate feedback, um, and then I'd like to uh, hemispheres. I just uh, was at, again, at this, this conference I was at in Scottsdale, uh, had a great conversation with the editor in chief of, of Hemispheres. Um, so that's another, will be another fun one to try to get a good story. Yeah, there's one of our favorite in-flight magazines as well. So wishing you best of luck for 2022 publications. Our fingers are crossed for you. <laughs> Thanks. So let's drill down a little bit into uh, the story pitching process. So what do the lead times look like for the various publications that you pitch? For example, Rob Report versus Wine Enthusiast versus Condé Nast Traveler versus The New York Post. But also, what's the lead time to pitch you? And then you have a lead time to pitch your editor with that idea. I tend to sort of book up in advance and look at my schedule from a four to six week out uh, point of view, even longer if I can. Um, that's not to say that if I pitch something and an editor asks for it in two weeks, if that's doable or if it's a timely feature, I'm going to do it. But I prefer to get PR pitches on things in as much advance as possible. I'm also not doing, I tend to think of in-house editors and, and staff writers as doing more of the events or national day of, or, you know, some of those, like those quick news turns. I mean, obviously a lot of publications also rely on, on freelance writers for those, but those aren't going to be the stories that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, but in general, I'm trying to go for, you know, somewhat more deeper features. I really like interviewing lots of sources. I mean, it, it can take a lot of time. Um, and I, you know, depending, depending on editor's responsiveness, um, if you know, you have this great idea, you might hear back later that day. Otherwise, it might take a couple follow-ups. So from start to finish, it could be, you know, even with digital, a few months from pitch to publication. Well, and speaking about deep feature stories, uh, we really enjoyed your piece in Wine Enthusiast on the Harvest Interns. Thank you. And it was really great that you spotlighted, you know, what you call the unsung heroes of the wine industry. And we, we couldn't agree more with that. So how did that story idea come your way? And How'd you find all those amazing folks to interview? Uh, yeah, thank you for, for bringing this one up. It, it's actually probably my, the fa my favorite piece that I did this year, just because talking to these interns and hearing their passion, I was so inspired. But I, I, went, I was on a trip in, in Napa Valley in early August and met um, another editor, um, Dylan Garrett from Wine Enthusiast. And every time you're going to a new winery or learning about something new, we sort of seem to be on the same page in terms of what we found really fascinating. And it, I had just never thought of wine interns during wine harvest. You know, I just think I probably thought of interns in the more traditional like office setting. Um, so I was like, this is so cool. Like these people come out here, they learn how to make wine. Then maybe some of them, you know, go on to make their own wine or open their winery. And this is how it all starts. Like, you really need the practice in that kind of that field. if You want to do it right. Um, so Dylan and I chatted a little bit on that trip and then um, talked when I got back and he assigned me the piece and he suggested like talking to interns worldwide, but because of the different harvest seasons, uh, it was really challenging to find people uh, abroad. Then I reached out to a bunch of different contacts, and that's how the interns sort of came up. Just uh, I think I think in this industry, and as you guys I'm, I'm sure both know so well, 
connections are everything and those relationships are everything. And, you know, I never want to take that for granted. Yeah. Relationship is everything and who you know, how you know, and how deeply you know that person. Yes. That's all about our industry. Definitely. You also had a fun story in American Way about a beer spa in Denver where guests can soak in tubs filled with beer. I love that idea. How did this get on your radar? Uh, that one, a former CNN colleague uh, forwarded me a press release. That one was, I was like, I think American Way. This would be great. I, I know that magazine fairly well, Fly American a lot, and, and she loved it. And then I interviewed the, the owners and there yeah. we go. So. It was a great travel um, destination story. Totally. And thank you. Adding to my um, travel bucket list. Your bucket <laughs> list. <laughs> So looking ahead to 2022, what types of stories and topics do you foresee yourself working on and how can our listeners be a part of them? Well, I am doing some more editing work. I'm just starting to do some editing for Condé Nast Traveler um, and potentially more for Foders. So I haven't thought too much about what I'm going to pitch, except I want to do stories that I really care about and that mean something to me. Those are the best ones to work on. You know, I'm, I'm, of course, will probably take the occasional assignment that comes my way. That's not like, oh, I'm super excited about this. But I really think the strongest pieces come from, you know, topics that you're passionate about or something that you're curious about and want to know more about. Um, anytime I travel, I, I come back with oodles of ideas. Um, so that's always going to be the a source of inspiration for me. And I enjoy reading your New York City hotels reopening on New York Post. Um, will you be doing more story on hotels overall? I'd love to. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, if there's some new places or, uh, you know, roundups that need to be done. I had, I had a great time editing the Fodor's Finest Hotel list because I think those are more challenging than people think. I wrote a few of the entries too. I mean, you're, you're talking, you have 200 words to try to encapsulate what this hotel is all about and why it's the best in this area. And, and we had done so much research um, on this project and selecting these hotels. And it, it was so much fun to edit that just because to see how people, the details they chose and, and wove in. And then that inspired me to write mine. So um, yeah, definitely hoping to do more, more hotels. As international travel becomes more accessible, how do you think the consumer outlook has changed in terms of their preferences? I think the remote vacations, like, you know, properties that have a lot of space, I do think, you know, depending on the season, but that you can, you know, spend a lot of time outside or you're just not on top of people. I think, you know, to some extent, inclusive experience. Some people are, are looking for that, um, you know, less planning and just total relaxation. But I think then there's always going to be people who, you know, if they're going to a new place, kind of want to bounce around a couple of hotels. Um, I mean, at least that's what I like doing to check out different neighborhoods. Um, and we'll see how long my husband, uh, you know, puts up with that one. <laughs> Good marriage is based on husband saying yes to their wives. Right, honey? Yeah. Yes, dear. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure your husband yeah. will be very Sounds flexible <laughs> on your preferences. Yes. So con continuing in this vein for a little bit, uh, what types of innovations have you been seeing in the travel industry that you think should continue after the pandemic? I think technology is always is going to continue to be important for a lot of people. Um, I don't know that contactless 
has really taken off. I think that people still want a human interaction in hotels. I think that's, you know, where hospitality really shines, obviously, is in, is in the human to human aspect. Um, and so I think some of those modern day conveniences, you know, if you can check in on your phone, okay, great. But, you know, people want to feel, you know, they're in a safe, clean space. And I think by and large, in, in my travels, which have just been domestic so far, I, I have really seen that there's a real effort and, and a real communication in the language, whether it's on a hotel website, or when you get there, or the remote is in a plastic, you know, things that have been like kind of high, high touch uh, surfaces. Um, and, I, and I do think that's that's here to stay. And that just, you know, enhanced cleanly factor, uh, people definitely want to continue to see more of that. For our listeners, who we call newsmakers in our industry, what are your top three do's and don'ts when they pitch you? Uh, I'll just start with don'ts is uh, don't email twice in one day on the same thing uh, <laughs> or even 24 hours. It's a lot. Um, I think I've heard a lot of, of people mention on your show that you know, they keep a PR folder and we really do go back to it. You know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm looking to do this piece on hotels that have X. And so, you know, who's been emailing me about a lot of their hotel clients or food and then not saying you're going to get back to me if I reach out with a request and then not, you know, if you're unable to provide the information or, you know, there's, it's, it's out of your hands, let me know. I just think open communication is, is super essential there. And then I think there's always, you know, the, I don't know how it happens, but I think we all get a lot of PR pitches that are not on anything that we would ever cover. So for me, getting stuff on parenting or parents, it's like, I, I mean, I don't, you know, it's not relevant to me. And then, you know, do's, I think I'll, I'll take occasional calls or do meetings. Um, I loved putting a face with emails or, you know, going to events or I've seen you both. Um, that could just be so useful and helpful when you are getting a barrage of emails each week and month. And, and so just kind of like reaching out regularly, you know, even if there's sort of nothing new going on. Um, I think that the question, like, what stories are you working on is always a challenging one because everyone's so busy. And do you really want to hear about the, the 20 stories I've sort of gotten in the pipeline? But yeah, uh, those are the basics. We've been very lucky to get to know you over the years and have worked together on several stories. But for those who don't know you yet... What do you think is the best way to start building a working relationship with you? Is there social media DM or is it emailing you just saying hello? What's the best? Uh, I'm not a social media DM. I mean, you could try it, but probably not. Uh, email all the way and I'm, I'm easy to find. I don't even have the contact form on my website. I just have my email because I think if you want to get in touch, get in touch. Yeah, I think an email letting me know who your clients are or, you know, how you can potentially help, how we can potentially work together. And then maybe there's a call that, that takes place a couple of weeks later or now that people are back out, a coffee if, if we're both in New York. Um, you know, again, I really I do like to, to build on these relationships because I think those are the ones that, you know, then you can really collaborate and work together. And, and we need it. We need each other. So when people are ready to pitch you, what are the top three things they should have ready to share? I think, you know, why, why this pitch? So if it's, if there's a timely angle or if it's something new or there's been, you know, a change at this restaurant people need to know about, um, I need to know, like, why am I getting this right now? You know, even if there isn't like a real timely factor, I might not do anything with it for 10 months. Um, and then I think like some top stats, if that's relevant, because that could just kind of get juices flowing. 
And then pictures, you know, if it's, if it's a, a hotel or we're talking about this fantastic food dish, I do think pictures can be helpful because a lot of editors, and I know at, at CNN, we always, I mean, some stories were literally like, yeah, we want this one if we can get good pictures. Um, and we rely on a lot of PR handouts for those. We couldn't agree more with you about the photo because I think the importance of the content creation, but also the importance of the photography, the visual storytelling is so more important than ever. Yes, agreed. So we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we think our industry has a very bright future. So what organization or individual have you recently seen taking hospitality and travel forward? I don't have an individual to name, but it is the individuals. Uh, I stayed at this beautiful place in Scottsdale at the Boulders, and every staff member I encountered was so lovely. I, I think that there's there's a way to train people to be in the hospitality industry. I worked in restaurants for many years. I liked it, but there's also a reason that that's not for me. But you know, you can really tell the difference between someone who knows how to be hospitable and those who truly are passionate about their jobs and probably have a great boss because it all is, you know, kind of top down. If you're, if you're hat, you know, you like who you work for, um, you know, and then that, in, you know, filters through your, your experience. Very true. Well, before we wrap up a fun question for you, what is your favorite cocktail and who would you want to share it with and why? Uh, I'm going to go with the Manhattan. Yes. I love a Manhattan and I will take it with, I usually order a, just a rye Manhattan if I'm, if I'm out, but I'll make it with Basil Hayden's is one of my favorites at home. Um, so if I were having one, I'm going to go with Cecilia Chang because I had the absolute pleasure of uh, actually eating Chinese food at her house and drinking, I think it was Negro Modelo's. Or, or some really, really cold beer. She was like, it's really, really cold beer. It goes with the spicy. And it was, she was just such a joy to hang out with that I would love to have a cocktail with her and maybe like a six course meal because she was doing that pretty much up until the day that, that she passed last year. How about your hubby? Yes. Well, we did get into a cocktail hour during the pandemic. He's always a joy to drink with, but he's a gin and tonic guy. So he won't drink my Manhattans, but that's okay. He, so. he might over time. I don't know. His dad drank gin and tonics and he's just gin. Sometimes it's just like, you know what you like, stick with it, right? We, we love our gin and tonics too. So be, before we leave you, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you? Uh, you can email me. It's stacylasto at gmail.com. It's Stacy with an E-L-A-S-T-O-E. I'm pretty on time. I, I aim for inbox zero, so <laughs> get in touch. We all do. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. This has been a, such a beautiful treat. We thank you again for doing this for our community and keep up the great work because we love what you do. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Stacey always inspires us with her journalistic gems. And now that you know what she's looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips our journalist friends share on our show. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.